Blog Talk Radio. February 21st, 2018 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And today we're back to discussing news, politics, culture from an individualist perspective. We have finished our sort of soiree into Jordan Peterson, although today's title, the title of today's show is inspired by a rule of Jordan Peterson. So we haven't quite fully left the Jordan Peterson realm yet. I called it today or at least don't lie. That's the second half of his rule eight. His rule eight says, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. And the reason I did that is because as I was diving back into the news, I was overwhelmed by the amount of dishonesty, just so much news about lying and corruption. I've got a huge list. If you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you will see the list, the program notes of all of these stories that I have to talk about with you. I hope you have a strong stomach. On you, maybe you want some coffee. I don't know whatever it is afterwards. Maybe you'll need a drink after the show. Who knows to handle all of this news? But uh, hello, everyone. Looks like most people are listening over on Facebook. If you're listening live, if you're over at Blog Talk Radio, or I mean, even if you're at Facebook, you can call on the number. Why don't I go ahead and put the studio number into the Facebook Live comments here? So I'm going to give you the Blog Talk Studio number. 760-888-5817 if you want to call in and maybe you have another story to share about corruption. I know that when I posted the show, somebody had one that they wanted to share as well. I think it was related to one of the stories that I have at the blog. So as I said, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, and you will see all of the stories. But first up in the program notes, of course, of course, of course, I've got embedded the YouTube player for the show that I did with Huron this past weekend. It's episode one of what we are calling, maybe Huron is calling it reluctantly, but I'm liking it. It's called None of the Above. And we've even done social proof, right? We've established social proof because I've gone over to Twitter and I did a poll that I put up for three days. I gave people three days to vote on this title and it turned out that a super majority were in favor of keeping the title none of the above. What's the complaint about? The complaint is that it's negative, uh, really in the sense that I take it you know, to mean primarily, though. I don't really think it's negative. It's saying that, you know, and if you see the Raphael painting School of Athens, there's Plato and Aristotle, and they're walking, and Plato is pointing up to the superior dimension, and Aristotle's got his hand out flat. He's saying, no, no, this, this is the world that we live in. This is where everything happens. And that 
is what you mean. There's none of the above. Aristotle rejects the idea of a superior dimension that Plato is saying, you know, this world is just a pale reflection of the world of the forms. You could get even in more detail. It's just a pale reflection of models of things that aren't even in the world. I mean, it's crazy with Plato how far removed we are from the ideal. But um, in the Duran Duran song, None of the Above, Simon Le Bon roundly rejects holy roads, as he calls it, you know, the idea of a superior dimension. What I wanted to add for the title of that show is the idea that there is nothing above the individual. So it's not just that you reject a superior dimension, some sort of religious dimension, but you also reject any sort of collective that is above the individual, any sort of a group or collective, whether it's based on race or identity or any uh, race, sexual orientation, uh, religious, anything else. You put anything above the individual, no, we are rejecting that. We will have none of the above, nothing above the individual. Um, There were some people who were trying to say, okay, well, if we want to make it positive, we also want to make it similarly catchy, because none of the above is also catchy. It's got that virtue. Uh, Someone on Twitter was saying, how about, all of the above in the sense of the things that are above everything else. Oh, no, no, above all else is I think it's what they want. Yeah, they want to say above all else. And above all else was going to be reality and reason and other things. And I didn't think of a response really to that. I didn't, I didn't like it particularly. I mean, you know how you just have that sense of something is catchy to you, it, it appeals to you or it doesn't. It just didn't appeal to me above all else. Um, maybe above all else. There are certain titles that I was thinking of that were really catchy and cool, but were too intimidating. Like you felt you'd have a hard time living up to it. So, for example, uh, the original title that Ayn Rand had had for We the Living was Airtight. And she was conveying by Airtight the idea that a collectivist regime tyrannical collectivist totalitarian regime would be suffocating and strangling the people living inside. So it's airtight. And the other connotation, of course, of airtight is that you have an airtight argument. And that was the sense in which I thought airtight would be really hard to live up to. It's kind of a cool title, though. So there's that one that I was thinking of. Um, Another one I thought of was Think Twice. Think Twice could actually be kind of cool because Think twice is a little bit off the beaten path, but it's another way to say check your premises, which is very common in objectivism. It's a very valuable thing to say in objectivism. But if you call the show Check Your Premises, it would be too cliche. So think twice might be cool. Um, And I also like it because you have two people who are talking. And so in Peterson's idea, you'd be both of you thinking. So so I've done some due diligence. I actually ran Think Twice by your own because I didn't find that so intimidating. Yeah, we're thinking. We're thinking aloud. We're talking. Uh, It's not like I'm promising to deliver an airtight argument. So I I ran that by him as well. Um, I I just, none of the above just seems like the one. And I really like that idea. It's like nothing. Yeah. So uh, someone in the chat here is saying that they're liking thinking twice. I like think twice. I do like think twice. And maybe I'll run that by you on again, by the way. So I love doing that show. Obviously I was having a great time and I think everybody could tell I was having so much fun doing that with him. And he says, okay, well, we have, you know, we're going to do the second one this Saturday. 
but you have to do it at 8 a.m. Pacific time. So imagine it's 11 a.m. Pacific time, and then you're jumping to 8 a.m. this coming week. But of course, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I love doing it. So I will be here. It's going to be 11 a.m. Eastern time, 8 a.m. Pacific time. We'll do the second show, and and maybe I'll run that title by him and and see what he thinks as well. Uh, But then let me go back to, because I'm losing the train of thought, the above all else, right? Someone had suggested the title above all else. And I think philosophically, the reason I don't like it is because I don't want to talk about having something above anything else. There's existence. And then there's us trying to live the best life that we can in existence. And that's, that's all there is. So you don't want to talk about up and down, you know, levels and all this stuff. No, no, no. So none of the above just says it's here. You know, it's, it's like Aristotle in, and you know, for the law, lo- the logo for my show uses a clip, you know, a little inset from Raphael school of Athens This, you know, my show, it's a little play on Aristotle kind of yelling at Plato. Don't let it go unheard. Right. But that painting just has so much in it. And one of the great things it has is Aristotle insisting, this is the realm. This is where we are. Let's just focus. Don't talk about, something being above anything else. So that's my gloss on it. I do really like this title. I would be interested to hear. I I saw that at least somebody in the Facebook comments likes Think Twice. Um, The none of the above lyrics, Josh says, aren't very good. Yeah, you know, I'm going to need to circle back to Yaron because he mentioned something on his show yesterday about oh, maybe he'll like it better when he hears the song. And that particular song is not necessarily my favorite Duran Duran song. Maybe we could use some music from some part of, you know, Duran Duran, but not necessarily a clip from that particular piece. So I I love the title. I love the connotation. And I love what I'm, of course, you know, taking some artistic license in a number of ways and in, in using that title and poor Simon Le Bon, you know, what, what do you mean you're going to reject leftist uh, politics using my song title, but that's what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. Jay in the chat room here, or not the chat room, I'm over at, um, at Facebook in the, in the comments. He says, none of the above while negative oriented is definitely more catchy and likely to attract the rising market of disaffected people. I would think so. I mean, there are so many people who just say, of all the options that were being given out there, none of the above. And, and for us, you know, now libertarianism is being taken seriously as a third option. And to even say that's one of the things that we are not right, that we're, we're not libertarian. So I, there's so many reasons that I like it. Anyway, I digress. If you haven't watched the show, just watch the show. I think it's just so much fun. I have that fun going back and forth with Huron and I would say probably, I mean, I haven't heard from him. I think he's nice and he won't tell me, but I'm sure he's gotten complaints. We just want to hear you, Yaron. Why does you have this Amy woman in there? And then some people have told me, oh, well, you know, you don't talk enough. You should talk more. With I thought it was exactly the right balance. It was the balance that I loved. I loved because, you know, I don't know if it's going to be this way every show, but, um, you know, he actually was celebrating an anniversary this past weekend and he said hey you know can you do more of the preparation sure love it prepare and then I came in with different angles and then just sort of said hey here's this angle you're on go and then of course interjected when I had something substantive to say every so often yes and that that I like that balance it's it's 
it's great. I'm going to do whatever feels natural and comfortable to me, which was the balance that we had on that show. And so if you want to hear more of your own, he's got his own shows. And if you want to hear more of me, you got my shows, by the way, support me, Patreon, come over and subscribe at YouTube, all of that. Uh, the other kind of thing that I'm doing on my YouTube, and I'm starting to think, depending on the level of support I get at Patreon, that I might do this news type of show we're about to do, and then also do as a separate line of shows, the sort of deep dive into books like I did with Jordan Peterson. Not sure yet, but this is something that I'm thinking of. So if you do, if you're interested in seeing both of those kind of shows for me, then definitely go over to Patreon and become a surprise, uh, subscriber, a, a patron of mine. Josh over here on Facebook, he's saying that you asked him questions and he answered. It was kind of like interviewing him. Yeah, I was interviewing and then a bit of a discussion as well. So if I had something that was my particular thought to contribute and add in, and every so often I'd, you know, add one little tweak to a thought that he was having and it, you know, it's live. So whatever I'm saying to him in that moment is something, if he was given all the time in the world, he might've thought of separately as well, but you know, this is live and you're not going to think of every angle on a, on a thought. So it's good to have two people going back and forth, but he, you know, he's excellent. And it was, I think the flow was just good. I think it was exactly perfect. Jason over here at Facebook says likes think twice or none of the above. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, for my show, people might be new to my show. Mine's called Don't Let It Go Unheard. And it is sounding sort of negative, right? Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's named after an essay by Ayn Rand called Don't Let It Go. And the it and the thing you're not supposedly trying, you're, you're trying not to let go, is the American sense of life, the uniquely American way of coming at the world, of looking at man's prospects for success and happiness in existence that and she identified that Americans came at life and you know uh, had attitudes of, you know about their place in the world vis-a-vis government or in society or you know just their ability to achieve success on this planet Americans have a different attitude she thought about that than anything else she wrote it in 71 and so one of the things that I have typically looked at in my show is how is the American sense of life doing, you know, she wrote in 71 and she had certain observations. Are we still doing well in all the different parameters that she identified? And so every so often we revisit that theme on my show. So as I said, that was a long intro, go over to the blog, don't let it go.com. And this show typically runs about an hour and a half. So we've got an hour and 15 left to go. I've got a number of stories over there. All of them are on this theme of people lying, people being dishonest. And if we need to recapitulate a little bit what I mean by dishonest in terms of Ayn Rand's philosophy, which is the way in which I love to understand this virtue, the way that I think this virtue is properly understood, the virtue of honesty. The virtue of honesty says that you should never fake reality in order to obtain a value. Never fake reality in order to obtain a value. And that is a principle that if you properly understand it and you unpack it in different contexts, can sometimes give some surprising answers. So, for example, this virtue is not primarily about 
your relationship to other people, whether or not you are telling the truth to other people. Um, And what it's primarily about is your connection as a human being, your ability to perceive reality, to perceive the world that we live in. And it, it, the, the virtue is necessary for human life, Rand wrote, because we need to maintain this connection with reality. Our rational faculty, which you know, is this faculty that we have by our nature, we have a, you know, a certain type of consciousness in, you know, according to which we have reason, we form concepts, we use our concepts to then form principles, and we guide our life by principles. Whether you know it or not, there are principles that you walk around living by all day long. Um, this great faculty that we have that enables us to you know, go to the moon, put blueberries in the grocery store, get on the air and broadcast live to you right now, all of the things that human beings can do to survive, all of those are made possible by this great faculty that we have. However, if our rational faculty, if our reason, if we, we let our consciousness get out of touch with reality, lose contact, lose proper contact with reality, then we are not going to do well. We are not going to succeed in our life. We are not going to produce the values that we need to sustain ourselves. That is primarily what honesty is about for Ayn Rand. It is maintaining a connection, never faking reality in any way, shape, or form, primarily to yourself. Now, the stories that we have in the news are often about people lying to other people, being dishonest in various realms in order to supposedly obtain a value. You know, but you might think, properly speaking, if you're a human being, that you know you can't really obtain anything that's truly of value, you know, dishonestly. You can't do it. You know, if you think, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and get something and I'm going to get it by lying to this person, it's not going to end up being of value to you. You're going to know in your mind that you have been dishonest and and you're not going to be able to fully enjoy that value. Yaron had an excellent show. He did a whole deep dive on honesty recently. And he talked about Bernie Madoff, which he knows a lot about. He read a lot about Madoff and how Madoff suffered. You'd think, okay, well, Madoff, you know, he got away with it for so long and he must've been doing well. And apparently, no, it was quite torture for him. And he felt relieved when he, you know, finally ended up getting caught and uh, being brought to justice. So, yes, a lot of the examples we'll talk about today. Honesty, though, is really about maintaining that contact between your consciousness and the world out there so that you can survive, so that you can do all the things you need to produce the values required to sustain human life in the real world. And Jordan Peterson, I, you know, I'm not going to recapitulate much at all, Uh, But Jordan Peterson, in his chapter, when he's talking about this, he had an excellent metaphor. And he said that if you tell a lie, if there's some dishonesty, it's like putting a drop of sewage into a beautiful magnum of champagne. You can have the largest magnum of gorgeous champagne. And then if you put this drop of sewage in it, the entire thing is ruined. And He didn't necessarily intend that metaphor to apply only to the individual human consciousness, to one individual's rational faculty. He was talking about the corruption of society as large, because 
it is true that if individuals habitually are dishonest to themselves and to other people, that society at large is going to break down as well. And we're seeing all kinds of evidence of this in the stories. Um, But I like to take that metaphor and, and just think about that because you can kid yourself and you can say, oh, it's just the tiniest little drop of sewage and it's this huge magnum of gorgeous, wonderful champagne. But it's, it's just not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So without further ado, let's get over to the stories. The first one comes via Sunny Loman. Thank you, Sunny, over at the Olympics in Korea. Russian curler tests positive for PEDs some drug that I guess I should know about at Winter Olympics per report. And another, I guess the other word for it is meldonium. Meldonium, hadn't heard of it before. Russian curling bronze medal winner Alexander, a name I can't pronounce at the end, I'm sorry. The, I'm not. My Russian is not so good. Uh, I have a little Russian. I actually know a little bit of Russian, but it's not good. He's reportedly tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug. Oh, PED. Okay, performance-enhancing drug. See, I'm so out of it, I don't even know that acronym. Uh, The drug is called meldonium. If confirmed, it will be the first instance of an Olympic athlete from Russia testing positive for a banned substance games. It comes in the wake of Russians already being barred from competing under the nation's flag due to widespread doping. The B sample that this athlete gave is expected to be tested on Monday. It will confirm if there's been any doping violation. The Russian officials are meeting with the International Olympic Committee to go over the findings before they are revealed. The athlete and his wife, Anastasia, and her last name is something else I cannot pronounce as well, they won the bronze medal against Norway on February 12th. The IOC has stated publicly that it may allow the Russian athletes to march under the country's flag in the closing ceremony, provided they adhere to the IOC standards, and we don't know if the positive tests would affect that, etc. Uh, the drug is used widely throughout Russia and Eastern Europe, the same drug that tennis star Maria Sharapova tested positive for in 2016, and for that she had gotten a two-year suspension, which had been eventually reduced. It's a metabolic modulator, apparently. It's prescribed as a short-term treatment for heart conditions, but was used for an extended period of time throughout sports until it was banned. (sighs) The athlete told Russian officials he fears his drink was spiked with it while training in Japan leading up to the game. <laughs> Somebody slipped him this drug. Okay. Um, the curler is reported to have said he suspects a teammate who was not selected for the games. Okay, okay, there you got to have a motive. Uh, could have drugged him on purpose. Okay. I guess, I guess maybe we can find out. But could he ever prove that? And is that what you would do if you were a spurned teammate? Would you go ahead and spike with a performance-enhancing drug? I guess maybe. Then we, you know, so here, you know, suppose that this is true. I mean, you've got dishonesty in one way or the other, right? You have one person. uh, Yeah. In the, in the Facebook comments, someone is saying, why would someone need help with curling? And that was Sunny's comment. Sunny said, why would someone need help with curling? It seems, you know, kind of ridiculous that you need performance enhancing drugs. So it could be that you're more likely to believe that this teammate who wasn't selected for the games actually did 
drug him on purpose just to get him disqualified because it doesn't seem. This is the thing, though, right? Any Anything that requires focus, you could say maybe you want a performance-enhancing drug. You think, okay, well, it's not really, you know, a sport like other sports, but anything that requires any sort of performance and focus, you could say a performance. I mean, what, you know, I've got my caffeine right here. Thank you, buttered coffee people, by the way. I, sometimes I forget to sip this thing throughout the show, but it's sort of as a security blanket almost, right? I've got this, this cup of coffee that I can sip. It's warm. It's kind of cold in California right now. So mm, warm up the fingers, right? Mm. But uh, yeah, it's caffeine caffeine focus for my show I like to do that so in in any event um, yeah so this is the first so suppose that he is suppose that he is taking these drugs he's not allowed to take these performance enhancing drugs in order to do better then what is he doing he is you know showing up at a competition at a not just any competition he's showing up at the Olympics with the idea that he is a valid competitor in this sport against anybody else who's there. He's showing up and he wants to be judged on the merits, supposedly. But if he's done this knowingly, if he did it himself, he knows in his mind that he's not supposed to be taking these drugs, that he's not supposed to be evaluated on his performance with this performance-enhancing drug. It's supposed to be without and so, you know, what, I, I, what does he hope to gain? I mean, if, if he really did it and he gained the medal, how could you enjoy Every time you looked at that medal, you would know. You would know that you did it by cheating. It just wouldn't be a value. Any of, you know, anything about your performance that you would take pride in, you'd have that question mark. Could I have done it without this? Now, for me, like I said, half the time is, well, could I do my show without my coffee? Well, sometimes I don't even drink it. Like I said, security blanket, but maybe I need my coffee to even do a halfway decent show. So that that's just the first story. Let's go get in here. So second one. Oh, this is a fun one. So many of you guys are watching me on Facebook right now. Headline, New York Times on social media, lax enforcement lets imposter accounts thrive. How many of you guys have gotten friend requests or other sorts of interactions from imposter accounts, accounts that you thought were imposters. And you can answer me over, of course, at the Blog Talk Radio chat room as well. As I said, feel free to call in. How many of you have gotten this type of request? I have of late gotten a number of friend requests from accounts that you just know are sham accounts. There's very little to them and it doesn't look genuine at all there's just there's some sort of a stink test that you can do when you look over a friend request and you can tell you know is this an actual person I don't know why there's just been this huge rash of these lately and the funniest thing that I got you know on Facebook you'll get something called a message request and it's from somebody who is not a friend of yours on Facebook and so couldn't message you in the normal way and so it comes through you'll get Sometimes you'll get a notification that you've got this message request. So I go in there and it's a message request from somebody who is pretending to be a Facebook friend of mine with the same exact profile picture. Now, if you're not familiar with the Facebook mechanism, if you know 
for example, that the message requests are going to come in only from people who are not your friends already on Facebook. If you don't know that, you'll click on that thing. You'll accept the request. Now, I don't know what the effect is of accepting a message request from somebody. They're just going to send you messages until you get sick of it, and then you block them in Messenger. I don't know if accepting somebody as a contacted messenger has any ramifications. You know, I mean, you've seen viruses go through messenger, but that means somebody has to send you something and then you have to click on it. So I don't, I don't know what that person thought that they were going to gain by posing as a friend of mine, but obviously I knew, I knew it's not going to come through as a message request if, and I went ahead and messaged the friend and said, Hey, by the way, you know, I got this. Um, but yeah, so watch it out there. There are all these imposters. Now, what is going on with these imposter accounts? You know, what is the end game for these? That's what the New York Times article is talking about. The, the article is also hinting that because the companies have what New York Times is calling lax enforcement of their rules about imposter accounts, that maybe there should be some sort of regulation. That's part of it. When Hillary Mason, a data scientist and entrepreneur, discovered that dozens of automated bot accounts have sprung up to impersonate her on Twitter, she immediately set out to stop them. So here's this woman. She finds out that there's these imposter accounts. She filed dozens of complaints with Twitter, repeatedly submitting copies of her driver's license to prove her identity. She reached out to friends who worked at the company, but days later, many of the fake accounts remained active, even though virtually identical ones had been shut down. Shut down. So even though she's complaining, they're not being shut down. Continuing with the article, millions of accounts impersonating real people roam social media platforms, promoting commercial products and celebrities, attacking political candidates, and sowing discord. They spread fake images and misinformation about the school shooting last week in Florida. They were central to Russian attempts to sway the 2016 presidential election in favor of Trump, according to a jury indictment on Friday. And intelligence officials, American intelligence officials, believe they will figure in Russian efforts to shape the coming midterm elections, too. And then New York Times says, yet social media companies often fail to vigorously enforce their own policies against impersonation. Now, okay. First of all, watch out for the impersonations. And here are, you know, again, all of these people, whoever is putting together these bots and these impersonating profiles, they think they're gaining some sort of value out of it. They can do this only in so far as they can fool people and trick people. So the people that they can sway and manipulate are the ones who are, you know, sort of the easiest easily taken in by this, um, you know, if, if they are going out there and spreading disinformation and misinformation, and then they're getting people to vote on the basis of misinformation, it's not like they're winning any real value in the world anyway. Uh, but do watch for these people. New York Times is calling out the social media companies on this, saying you need to enforce your own policy more strictly, and that's a valid criticism. I have no problem with New York Times calling them out and saying, hey, you've got this policy. There's a rash of just problems with people violating the policy. There are people who have been victims of these impersonations that have gone out there and even complained to the company and said, please take down this impersonating account and still 
you know, we're getting examples of the company not doing it. So yeah, call them out. What I fear is that some of this is going to be used in the call to bring government regulations to bear on the social media companies. And that is something I do not want to see. I would much rather see the media companies help educate people, get people more savvy. The media companies get better at violate, you know, at, at uh, you know, pursuing violations and shutting down violations of the policy. Article continues, Facebook and Twitter require proof of identity to shut down an imposter account, but none to set one up. And see, that's the other thing. They're, the other thing they're pushing is that you should have to have a proof of identity to set up a social media account. And that would be bad because this is, you know, one more step towards 1984, basically, lack of, of privacy. They say even as social media accounts evolve into something akin to virtual passports for shopping, political activity, and even gaining access to government services, technology companies have devised their own rules and standards with little oversight or regulation from Washington. Damn it. That's what they're saying. Um, They want them to regulate. That's what they want. They want regulation. Now, what do they mean by even gaining access to government services? Apparently in Britain, the article that they have linked to is over from The Guardian. Facebook accounts could be used to prove identity to access public services. So that would, uh, it's called the Cabinet Office, has confirmed that this is potentially, you know, potentially going to be the, uh, the case in the UK. So, yeah, you'd say, okay, if you're going to start allowing Facebook accounts to prove identity, then it would be good to have to prove identity in order to have a Facebook account. But I don't think you should have a social media account being used to prove identity to gain government services. This is just yet another consequence of even offering so-called government services in the first place. I'm sure all the services that they're going to talk about there are services that government shouldn't even be performing. So lots of imposter accounts. You're just in this sea of imposter accounts out there on social media, lots of fake followers on pages, lots of fake news, as they call it, spreading all sorts of false narratives out there on social media. And yeah, call call the companies on it. Say, okay, crack down on them. At least crack down on them when you get the complaints with people showing you IDs and giving you proof that this other account is an imposter. That would be quite helpful. Don't bring in, don't bring in government. Comments over here. Oh, they're talking about curling. Um, yeah, what what is the value that you gain by, for example, showing up at a competition, doped, and pretending as if you're not? Because of course, all the rules of the venue say that you shouldn't be when you show up there. That if you show up there, you're in effect saying, "I'm here as a valid competitor." What's the value to be gained there? Jay is saying the only value to be gained would be in the eyes of others. True selflessness. Yes, definitely. Um, Cobra is over here at the chat room at Blog Talk feeling lonely. Yes, everyone is over hanging out on Facebook. I guess the sound is good enough on Facebook, too, that people like to hang out over at the Facebook video. So let's go over to our next story. VA chief, Shulkin, he has been involved in a scandal recently. His job, and these are all headlines that I got within the last 
day or two, okay? All the headlines I'm giving you today are all headlines that I got within the last day or two. VA Chief Shulkin's job is safe, White House says, unless, quote, other stuff comes out. Other stuff comes out. White House officials have told Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin that his job is safe, according to people familiar with the matter, who indicated Tuesday that President Trump decided decided to, quote, stomach the story about Shulkin's alleged misuse of taxpayer money during a 10-day trip to Europe. President's decision was communicated to Shulkin by White House Chief of Staff John F. Kelly, according to an administration official who, like others interviewed, spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the situation candidly. Trump, quote, personally likes Shulkin, the official said, cautioning, however, that, quote, if other stuff comes out, this could change, but for now he's safe. (laughs) Um, Does this tell you the kind of person we have in the White House, assuming this is true. Now, um, this is White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said Tuesday she has, quote, no reason to believe, end quote, Trump has lost confidence in Shulkin. Now, the report was from the Inspector General, and it accused the Secretary and his senior staff of misleading the VA's ethics office about aspects of his travel. Shulkin has disputed the findings, alleging in response that they had been a he and his, you know, associates had been the target of a coordinated effort by other Trump appointees to force him from the agency. So he is alleging, I guess, that the particular allegations are not true. So I guess as long as it's disputed by him, it's going to be okay. Um, it would seem that before. Because he's saying if other stuff comes out, this could change, but for now he's safe. So if something comes out, there's an allegation about somebody, all the person has to do is just dispute it, and that's it. And there doesn't have to be a full finding for Trump to say, oh, it's okay because he personally likes the guy. If you're on the premise that this guy actually did misuse government funds, right, we I mean, first of all, we're forced to pay this money. It's not like we're donating. I'm going to talk about Oxfam in a minute. And with Oxfam, at least, you are voluntarily donating to Oxfam. But here, this money is taken from us against our will. Uh, It's on the premise that the government is doing things that are for our benefit, for the benefit of the entire country. And here he is potentially using those government funds to, I guess, have a nicer trip? Is that what he did? He you know, misused some of the funds during the trip. If, if he did that, it's a big deal. And you know, for Trump to ignore the drop of sewage and the magnum of champagne and decide, well, he personally likes Shulkin, so a drop of sewage and a magnum of champagne is no big deal, to me, that would be revealing, you know, that he doesn't care. It's like, oh, tell a little lie here or there. It's it's not such a thing. Um, I would be interested to know myself if he was misrepresenting the way that he used the funds to the VA's office. You'd want to know not just that. So it's not just about whether other stuff comes out. It's what is the actual truth of the matter with respect to these allegations? That's what I think a rational president would want to know. Um, 
He's going to go ahead and stomach the story. What, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he necessarily believes him, Shulkin, right? It's, you know, just sort of a, you know, that he's blasé about it. He doesn't really care whether it's true or false one way or the other. And to me, that is disturbing. Now, I've only gone into three of the stories so far. I've got many more. Here's another one. And maybe you don't necessarily think from the headline that this is another case of something dishonest. But if I give you the headline, some of you will get it right away. Venezuela launches virtual currency, hoping to resuscitate economy. Venezuela launches virtual currency, hoping to resuscitate economy. And this is Josh over here at Facebook. He says, looking forward to how Venezuela can innovate a way to inflate crypto. I mean, what's the need to inflate crypto? This is the thing that's so ridiculous, right? Venezuela is collapsing. So whatever currency has as its basis, right? Right now in the United States, the dollar has as its basis, whatever the strength, the perceived strength is of the economy. And it's actually not the perceived strength, right? Right now, it could be floating. The dollar, the value of the dollar could be floating on the perceived strength of the economy. But in the long run, it's going to depend on people actually producing values that sustain human life in a sustainable way in the United States economy. Otherwise, the dollar will collapse. Why? We don't have a gold standard. There's nothing behind it except for the productivity of the American people. Venezuela is collapsing and they, you know, there's all sorts of sanctions and everything else and they are in a bad way. They want to resuscitate their economy and they think they can do it on one of these, you know, sort of Bitcoin virtual currencies that don't have any particular thing tied to them at all. They have, you know, have even less of a foundation than our dollar. Now, I don't want to get into a philosophical debate about Bitcoin being good or bad or anything else. The virtue of Bitcoin, of course, is that it's not regulated by government. And you could say it's got transparency, right, because of the way that a Bitcoin is generated out there in the you know, cyberspace and all the different computers working together to generate a Bitcoin. And then the trading is completely transparent out there because each Bitcoin has a certain unique identifying number and all those things, right? I know some of the math, but it's been a while. Um, I actually, I don't know the math. I know of the math. So I have sort of this floating understanding of, of Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, there is, there is transparency to it. There's sort of, um, you know, sort of collective knowledge of the Bitcoin. It's not, objective in in the sense of gold right it's not a, a gold standard the gold itself has some value there's just numbers running out there in the internet and that's the bitcoin and the basis for it is that all the people who are participating i guess in trading the bitcoins all treat them as if they have value and they're willing to trade their work or their goods or anything else for other people's bitcoins and vice versa and as long as that all keeps going, everything's good, but you've seen, you know, rapid fluctuations. So imagine there's Bitcoin. It's not based in any particular government. It's just free individuals out there 
trading it as freely as they possibly can, as long as governments around the world are going to let them do this. And then in this, you know, realm of cryptocurrency, as they call it, you know, um, virtual currency, you might say, a government, a failing government at that is going to launch it and hope to resuscitate the economy as if there's some sort of valuable basis. Now, what are they going to say is behind it? I guess they're going to say that oil is behind it because they've, yeah, it says, you know, in the article here, it's going to be backed by the nation's vast petroleum reserves. New digital currency, they had announced plans for it late last year, response to a financial crisis marked by a profound devaluation of the national currency, suffering, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they hope the sales of the digital currency known as the Petro will help its treasury pay off debt and increase imports of vitally needed goods as well as raw materials for manufacturing. It was supposedly it's going to allow investors to do an end run around sanctions imposed against their country by the Trump administration as well. Uh, prediction, this is going to be nationalized in some way, unilaterally devalued by the Venezuelan government in some way, or otherwise disallowed or stopped by Trump or anybody else who is issuing the sanction. Over here in the Facebook comments, Josh is saying, but no property rights, but you own the oil. I mean, really, all you're going to be allowed is whatever the Venezuelan government decides at any given time your unit of cryptocurrency corresponds to with respect to oil. But I'm predicting that's going to change all the time. That I, I predict, you know, people, people are going to rush in. Some people are going to do it because it, it's a feel-good thing. Some people are going to do it out of speculation, not realizing that this is exactly the sort of thing where they are playing into the hands of looters and socialists. And if you do rush into this, you're going to get what you deserve. And there's some great lines in Atlas Shrugged right along, uh, right along those lines. There's, there's a lot of Atlas Shrugged in this, uh, in this story about Venezuela starting a cryptocurrency and getting everybody to invest on the basis of its vast petroleum reserves in Venezuela. How come those vast petroleum reserves haven't been able to save them and pay them yet? You know, it's like, it's like, Oh, well, if we sell these reserves or, you know, we sell rights to these reserves on the market. Now we don't have enough money to pay off all of our debt and feed our people and do all the things that need to be done. But, if we just put it in a different currency, then suddenly we will. You know that there's something phony about that currency if that's the thinking, right? That, that it's just a different currency. You know, all I have to do is trade my dollars to euros and then suddenly I have enough money to make ends meet. No, it's not going to work. If you don't have enough money, you don't have enough money. Um, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, okay, so that's Venezuela. Yeah, so I predict disaster. Oh, and by the way, I first heard of this from Michelle Ray out on Twitter. She calls herself Galt's Girl on Twitter. And she is a user and big proponent of Bitcoin. And she immediately just said no. So even the people who think that Bitcoin, you know, because there's a huge dispute. Is Bitcoin a real money and everything else? So Michelle Ray is in favor of Bitcoin, but she knows that this just stinks. People used to say stinks to high heaven. I'll go ahead and use the 
the phrase. I've got Rick following over along at Blog Talk. Hello, I mean not Blog Talk over at Facebook. Just says test. Yeah, Rick, it worked. You're there. Hello, uh, Cobra over at the Blog Talk Radio chat room says me on Facebook never. Okay, that's okay, but I mean, obviously you can have comments here and you can also call in if people want to call in 760-888-5817. I have only begun to horrify you with dishonesty in my program notes. That was only number four on the list. Let's go on further. For the next one, I chose an angle on the story because you know how these stories are released and then they develop over days. Yaron talked about this uh, Oxfam scandal in yesterday's show. If you've been giving money to Oxfam thinking that it's going to Haiti earthquake relief and everything else, no, that's not happening. Instead, you apparently have been helping to pay sex workers. Good use of money, right? Um, They have an inquiry into uh, sexual exploitation, downloading pornography, bully and intimidation, in Oxfam, gross misconduct. So, yeah, you are giving money to them, thinking that they're using the money to actually relieve suffering from natural disasters, and instead they're using the money to have wild sex parties and everything else. The angle that I chose to go ahead and share with you in the program notes for today is that the um, Prime Minister of the U.K., Theresa May, says... The U.K. will not cut aid in the wake of Oxfam scandal. Just keep giving money to Oxfam. Now, if you listen to Iran, he was saying that this scandal is not the reason to not donate money to Oxfam, that a lot of these organizations are not genuine in terms of relieving actual suffering in an emergency, that they are these self-perpetuating huge bureaucracies and only a small fraction ever gets there anyway. But imagine that even with a scandal, you have somebody who's supposedly one of the conservatives in the UK who will not cut aid even with this scandal. So, I mean, how many levels here? You know, first of all, UK, they are taking money from citizens And the idea is, you know, it's just like here, the taxes are not voluntary. So they're taking money from their productive citizens. The premise is that the government is spending this money in a way that is to benefit the entire country. And instead, they're giving it to Oxfam, which is just charity that people could have chosen to do on their own. Add an extra layer, which is that instead of doing charitable work, This organization has been shown to have not just some small drop of sewage in the huge magnum of champagne, but big, huge dollop of that disgusting sewage. And nonetheless, no, don't cut aid. Keep giving them money. Why would you do this? This just shows, and this is the reason I chose this angle is because this is something also that Yaron was talking about last night. He was talking about Brexit and how the latest developments in what you know, how the UK is choosing to handle Brexit shows that it is not taking the opportunity that it has to relieve the regulatory burden in the UK, right? That getting out from under the EU gives the UK this huge opportunity to relieve itself of 
the regulatory burden allow the producers within the UK to just go, you know, take the reins off, you know, unfettered progress and productivity. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But instead, no, a lot of the usual subsidies and, and regulations are staying in place. And it just shows that May, who they chose as the leader, who apparently is anti-Brexit, is showing she's anti-Brexit and anti the spirit of Brexit, which is, you know, the idea of actually allowing people to be free and productive. That, you know, at least the better impulse behind Brexit anyway is getting rid of that regulatory burden, getting rid of the centralized control of the EU. And, and it, there's all indication that it's not really going to happen, that they're not going to take advantage of this. And, and what we're going to end up with is only the worst, which is, as Yaron was mentioning again last night, part of Brexit is, you know, sort of um, throttling the flow of labor, goods and labor, the free, you know, the free flow of, of goods, labor, trade, everything else into the UK. So you're getting the worst of it, some of it because of xenophobia. And people who were in your own comment section agreed with that assessment, that there's just a lot of xenophobia behind the Brexit movement in the UK. Not everybody. Some people are actually for freedom in the, in the UK, but there are a number of people who are for that. So you're not going to get the freedom and you are going to get the xenophobia and you're going to get it, make it harder to hire qualified employees and everything else, harder to import goods that you want, make everything more expensive, less plentiful. It's, it's really sad. So why did I include this angle then? Because you're doing that if you are regulating, if you are throttling businesses under the weight of huge amounts of regulation, you're doing this out of a, an altruistic motive on the idea that businessmen cannot be trusted to act in a way that is honest and forthright and just, you know, that they are offering values that everybody is free to take on face value, on the market, everything else. Instead, you have to clamp down on them with regulations. Some, in some cases, there are subsidies and price controls that they're keeping in place. Those are clearly even more altruistic, transparently altruistic in motive. And May is showing herself here. You know, the, the put others above self. Put sacrifice above everything else. And it's very consistent with that motive, this motive of altruism, to say, yes, particularly when this organization has shown itself to be untrustworthy, uh, full of misconduct, um, rights violations potentially even in some of this, but certainly a fraud. And, uh, uh, and I'll talk about one more aspect of it in a second. But, you know, he, th- this is dirty. This is, you know, really gross and revulsifying conduct that an organization that purports to be so moral, to be relieving suffering, people who are suffering through no fault of their own, that it's caught in this disgusting scandal where it is arguably, um, you know, demeaning some of the very people that it's supposed to be helping, right? Uh, you know, through all of the sex workers and everything else, it's, it's demeaning them as well. Nonetheless, give them money. Show forgiveness reward the people who are morally inferior and, and bad and, and you know have, have shown themselves to have committed sin. That's exactly what she's acting in uh, 
in conscience with. This is exactly the sort of thing that an altruist would do. Uh, so there, there's your angle there, your Brexit angle. But yeah, so on, on the one hand, the government is supposed to be spending the money that it steals from you for your own good, for the country's good. It's not even doing that. It is throwing it at an organization that has shown itself completely unworthy, even of charitable donations. And she's going to do that. Now, if you go to the Oxfam, you know, the scandal itself more deeply, then, of course, you have a couple levels of dishonesty there. The first is that Oxfam is representing itself as taking donations from contributors and using them for disaster relief when instead they're using it to have these crazy wild sex parties. Um, So there's that. Yes, faking reality in order to supposedly obtain a value. But then suppose even that they weren't. They weren't misappropriating the money. Suppose it was, you know, they worked hard doing the disaster relief out there. And all they did is when they got their salary that they worked hard to earn and they didn't get paid too much, it wasn't inflated, anything else. Suppose they went out and then they spent that money to have these sex parties or whatever and hire sex workers. So then you'd say, okay, they're being dishonest in that realm as well, because what are they doing? And, you know, you'd have to dive in more to the objectivist view of sex on this, but, you know, it's not like the sex that you have at a sex party is going to be a real value to somebody who is rational, who is engaging in, in sex for the proper purpose. So you have dishonesty at that level as well. Um, so they're taking your money, your charitable donations. They tell you that they're going out there engaging in disaster relief. Instead, they've been shown to actually misappropriate the charitable funds and spend it on the sex parties. But even if they were spending their own money on the sex parties, they would be faking reality in order to supposedly obtain a value, whatever, you know, what the, what the proper value is that you would get from sex, the celebration of, of life and, and of productivity. They cannot get that because they're out there buying it from these Haitians for really cheap or something they're exploiting. So it's just disgusting on so many levels. It's, it's really horrifying. And that is only the fifth story. We have more, more dishonesty and I'm almost at the one o'clock hour. So I'm going to have to actually go through these at a little faster clip. What have I got going over in the, I've got Terrence. Live by Terrence Network, first-time listener over at Blog Talk. Welcome, welcome to the show. And over on Facebook, it's funny, people commenting on my regular Facebook posts on Facebook while I'm live, as if I can read that. I can't. Um, Come over, come over, listen to the show. One is just a moral issue, not a fraud, says Josh. Um, So you're saying that the, the sex issue is is just just a moral issue, not a fraud. You're defrauding yourself, though, right? You're defrauding yourself. And again, honesty is about primarily honesty to yourself. So if you think you're going to get a value, the value that you're supposed to be getting from sex in that way, then no, you're you're defrauding yourself. It is a fraud. It's definitely a fraud. It's just another layer of it. John over at Facebook says the Clintons stole most of the Haiti relief. Apparently there was enough left for some parties, enough left for some wild 
sex parties at Oxfam. I'm sure that they're very appetizing people, too. Okay. Um, enough about that. Elizabeth Warren. Oh, okay. Josh is arguing back in. He says, that is a stretch, but okay, it's not a legal issue. So it's funny. I'm, I'm an attorney, Josh, but I'm not concerned primarily with legal issues. Um, it's funny because what, what you say about the legal issue, um, the, what's coming to my mind is a lyric from Election Day, which is a song from Arcadia, which is a spinoff group from Duran Duran, and I've put Election Day in the program notes for today's show. There's a lyric in Election Day, and it says, Are you aware you're being illegal? It's making your savior behavior look evil, which is just a cute and clever lyric. But um, I think that's not you know, actually true. Sometime I might try to teach an online philosophy of law class. But in my philosophy of law seminars that I taught in academia for a long time, someone says, don't talk about Duran Duran. I'm not. Um, I'm going to go into this issue of legal versus moral. Um, In a philosophy of law class, one of the things you talk about is whether there is what you call a prima facie duty to obey the law. (laughs) Jay goes, Duran Duran again, again, he votes, votes. Um, Go to my blog. You can get your Arcadia song at the the end of the program notes for today. But, yeah, I am always going to think of a song lyric and and bring it in if I can. Um, Okay, so the the question is, is there a prima facie duty to obey the law? And that is a very highfalutin way of asking the question. But let me just ask you the question in the way that it, you know, could come up in a conversation with us. If I tell you, if I come in and I say, I broke a law today, you know, I broke a law today. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I broke the law. Would you automatically think, Amy, you are bad? Would you say, oh God, I now think less of Amy simply because I told you I broke a law today. Would you? Or would you require more? Would you require that I tell you more? That's really the way to ask this question. And if you say no, that I understand the difference between something being legal versus moral, and that sometimes things that are illegal wouldn't necessarily, (laughs) Josh says, no, Amy can do no wrong. I I could definitely do some wrong. Okay, I've, I've made my share of mistakes in life. But I submit, especially when we're in the era where somebody can write a book and say nine felonies a day, or I forget what the title of the book is, but um, I have a Facebook friend, Adam Reed, who talked about that book, I think, um, that the person, average person goes around committing nine felonies a day, then no. You know, if I tell you I've broken a law, then you'd want to know, you know, what is the law? I don't know if I'm going to think badly of you, you know, if you think you're immoral, Amy, without knowing more about this. So that's the way that the question comes up. When you say, is, you know, is there a prima facie duty to obey the law? What that means is, apart from anything else, if all you know is that there's something that the law requires of you, if you don't know anything about the moral content of it or anything else, do you have a duty? a moral duty to obey that law. And there's an excellent philosopher, and his name is escaping me now. Um, 
I, I'm going to have to look it up because I, I want to give the person credit at, at some point. But he goes through all of these arguments, these possible arguments for this prima facie duty and says, no, you cannot say that on its face, simply because something is a law, you have a moral duty to do it. And then, of course, the consequence is, is that if, if I tell you I broke the law, that you wouldn't say, oh, God, Amy, you're a terrible person unless you knew more. What law was it that I broke? So if I said, okay, you know, I drove two miles per hour over the speed limit on the freeway when I was coming back from the dentist. I just had to go to the dentist, by the way. Yeah. Um, actually, it, it turned out to be a good visit, but I was not eager to go. Um, but yeah, you know, two miles an hour, you'd say no. And, and in fact, morally, you might say it's required to sometimes go faster than the speed limit, depending on how the traffic is moving. If the traffic all around you is going 10 miles over the speed limit and you're going to go below the speed limit, that, that would be terrible. Lee over here at Facebook says, if someone I know to be a moral person says they have broken the law, I assume first that it's an issue with the law, right? That's what a lot of people will rationally think. That's what they'll do. So, um, so going back to the lyric, right? Are you aware you're being illegal? It's making your savior behavior look evil. I disagree with that lyric because the mere fact that somebody is being illegal to me doesn't mean that they are behaving immorally there has to be more to it you have to tell me the content of the law the mere fact that something is a law doesn't to me mean that you have any kind of moral obligation to um, you know to adhere to it let me take a sip of something i don't take a sip enough i actually don't know how your own does it because your own He'll do shows for two hours, and I don't think I see him take a sip of anything. Oh, no, he takes breaks, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He takes breaks. Sometimes he'll do a little commercial break and stuff. He must take a sip then. Maybe I just didn't see him do it. So going back to Josh's comment over at Facebook, Josh says he's not concerned about the sex party so much because the issue is that whether it's legal or not. Is there some sort of legal fraud? And I guess sex work is legal in Haiti. And so, okay. It is fraud that they're spending the money on it. But the thing that I'm worried about from, you know, talking there about the dishonesty peg, I'm not worried about the legal status of what they're doing. I'm worried about people trying to fake reality in order to obtain a value. And as I've discussed at the beginning, the thing that you think you're obtaining, you think it's going to be a value, but really it ends up not being a value. The reality that they're faking is that they're having real sex. That means something. And they're not. It is phony. Um, and, yeah, that is dishonest. They're being dishonest to themselves if they think that they're getting all of that. Uh, Robert in the chat room, or not chat room, sorry, I keep getting confused, but in the comments over here at Facebook, Robert says, bad example, if all the traffic around you drove off of a cliff, do you do it too? No. Um, but you would, when you are trying to get out of everybody driving together off of a cliff, which, I mean, it feels like sometimes that's what we're doing in our society today, right? Everyone around you is insisting on let's all drive over a cliff. So when you are figuring out how to get out of that pickle, you have to take into account 
the speed at which everybody around you is moving, you know, the the velocity and the direction, right? The velocity vector of everybody around you. You're going to have to take that into account if you're going to be safe. And if you're going to be moral, you're going to be safe. So um, the example that I gave is everybody around me is driving a certain speed and I'm going to drive, say, 12 miles per hour, at least below that. That is not moral if my concern is to preserve human life, right? So... Um, it's, it's just not, I've got in my Mevo, I just got a little thing like a, some sort of card error or something. So I hope that everything is okay. And that this is still recording. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, sorry, distracted. Yeah. So we do have to take into account the speed of everybody around us in traffic. And you would say it's immoral to stick yourself in the middle of a bunch of people driving 10 miles over the speed limit and drive a lot slower. That was my only point there. Uh, If you drive off the cliff, no, you don't do it to, but you will have to take their speed into account when you're figuring out how to evade that mess. Okay. Maybe you guys got a clip in the video or something when I saw that error. We'll see. Let's go back over to all the examples. Um, Wow. So we're just at Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, I'm not going to talk in too much detail about. She's lecturing Native Americans about Pocahontas. Everybody knows the allegations against Elizabeth Warren, and it seems that there is a lot of truth to them that she has been touting a questionable very fractional Native American heritage, and she did this through her career in order to gain various steps, you know, kind of kind of go up various rungs of the ladder as she was going about her career, uh, maybe to get her position at Harvard. There was affirmative action of, of some kind in this. So faking reality in order to obtain a value. I mean, there's a couple different levels on this one here, right? You could say, first of all, It is not even relevant blood heritage in terms of the merit for somebody to be hired for a position at a university. What is important, of course, is their skill and maybe you could say their knowledge of a particular set of ideas. And it could even be that you want to hire somebody who is good at arguing a particular viewpoint within a certain realm of knowledge. So, Viewpoint, knowledge, skill, list of publications, all of these things could be very relevant. Native American heritage should not be relevant for any position at a university. So there's that level of fraud. The other level, of course, is her saying that Native American heritage played any significant role in her, but she's continuing to go about this in her life. Um, Pocahontas, says Jay, over on Facebook. Josh says that driverless cars are the answer to morality. The the one thing about the driverless cars that is making me a little nervous, I mean, first of all, I want to be able to have a manual override in case the driverless car malfunctions. There's that. But the other thing is, how are they programming the car? So if there is going to be an accident, Are they going to program it in a certain way that is going to make sacrificial choices that you disagree with? Mind you, if there's going to be a car accident, there's often no great answer. You know, you've got the trolley problem or whatever in ethics. Uh, 
but you at least want to be able to make the horrible decision for yourself and not make, you know, have some sort of computer generated algorithm make the decision for you. More dishonesty. And here, maybe, maybe we don't have a burger yet, right? Maybe we don't. It's all been nothing burgers. We still don't have a burger, but maybe we've got chips and salsa. We might, maybe even some guacamole. Might even have some guacamole here. Headline, New York Times, former Skadden lawyer pleads guilty to lying in Russia investigation. And this guy, I mean, he, very prominent attorney, speaks four languages, had a wedding that was covered in some VIP publication and everything else, just charmed life. 33 years old, billion, oh, he's he's a son-in-law of a billionaire, son-in-law of a Russia-based billionaire. He admitted on Tuesday to lying to investigators about his communications with a former Trump campaign aide. The guilty plea by the defendant, a former lawyer at a powerful New York-based law firm, broadened the scope of the special counsel's inquiry into Russia's election interference. So he's admitting that he lied about communications with the Trump campaign aide. This is raising new questions about the campaign aides and what testimony they've given, I guess, before. He says he lied to prosecutors about a September 2016 conversation with Rick Gates, the former Trump aide, over work that they did together for a Ukrainian political party aligned with Russia. He also admitted that he deleted records of email exchanges that prosecutors had sought, facing now up to five years in prison, but he said in court that he expected to serve six months or less. Why he expects that, I guess, because he leads the charm life and he thinks he's going to get everything better than anybody else, maybe because he's cooperating, he's going to get that deal So Gates and then, of course, Paul Manafort had been charged in the fall with laundering money and other crimes. And apparently this is going to raise new questions with respect to them. Imagine this guy. He's trying to maintain a career as an attorney. An attorney is supposed to be somebody who stands up before a court and represents himself as at least not lying to the court. And he is now testifying and admitting to lying to investigators in this Russia investigation. Um, Does it raise issues? I mean, you could say this is another tiny drop of sewage in in this huge magnum of champagne. Everybody, you know, the the Trump, it's fitting to call the aura of the Trump administration, a magnum of champagne, but there have been a lot of little tiny drops of sewage. Maybe you think it's not a burger, but little tiny drops of sewage. We don't have a burger yet, but we do have that. Uh, so that's the attorney. Imagine that, you know, you've, you've built up this wonderful career. You're at a top law firm. You speak four languages. You're the son-in-law of a billionaire and you're going to destroy your entire career by telling lies in this Russian investigation. But that's apparently what he has done. Uh, they're talking about the Warren issue. Uh, Josh over here on Facebook, not all discrimination is bad. Been looking for a good example to come up in court to challenge it, like a Chinese restaurant in China, Chinatown refusing to hire 
non-Chinese. If you say you want to give a certain cultural experience and that Chinese employees um, might be better at creating that authentic experience, then okay, in, in that sort of situation where you're you're trying to do that. But for example, I went to a Chinese New Year celebration recently, and there were some dancers who were doing traditional Chinese dance to, to music there. And there was a Caucasian woman who was one of the dancers, and she was very much into it and wore the traditional costume and everything. So everybody could make that decision in a proper society, though, right? They could decide whether they wanted to engage in that sort of discrimination. Okay. Oh, that was the old story. So let me... Oh, no, no, this is this is the story that I want next. Okay, here's the story I want next. Now, here's one that I have a hard time placing exactly. And I don't have a ton of time left, so I don't want to speculate forever. But let me know what you think of this one. The Parkland shooting, the scumbag killed 17 people. And a number of the students at the school are now out there campaigning, crusading for gun control laws an increase in control over guns of some kind. And then what happens in reaction is Rush Limbaugh and other commentators are portraying these students, and I'm quoting here from the New York Times article, not as grief-ridden survivors, but as pawns and conspiracists intent on exploiting a tragedy to undermine the nation's laws. Now, New York Times, of course, says that these accounts are baseless. They say, in these baseless accounts, which by Tuesday had spread rapidly on social media, these students are described as, quote, crisis actors who travel to the sites of shootings to instigate fury against guns. Or they are called FBI plants, defending the Bureau for its failure to catch the shooter. They have been portrayed as puppets being coached and manipulated by the Democratic Party, gun control activists, the so-called Antifa movement, and the left-wing billionaire George Soros. What do you guys think of these stories? Do you think that there is truth to them, that are these people just crisis actors? I could see that some students who were at a school like this, you know, just because of the trauma and you know, just the emotional upheaval that they experienced watching their friends died, perhaps they came close to being killed themselves, uh, they would be horrified at this and maybe not completely understanding that a change in the law is not going to protect anybody in the future from doing this. They would go out there and campaign for this, that they would be honest in this, that they're not just, quote, crisis actors. On the other hand, you know that there's got to be a lot of people willing to go in there and co- you know coach these kids and tell them what to say and how to say it to for the for the effect. Jay over here on Facebook says even if they're pawns, calling that out is not an argument. Better ideas don't win if they aren't shared, and devolving into motive dispute isn't helpful. That's a that's a good point. That's a, that is a good point. Um, you know, one thing that you could think of. I mean, for me, when I think about kids in schools today, anywhere, elementary, even up through high school, 
the extent to which they are asked to weigh in on political issues at such a young age is, you know, itself, I believe, dishonest. I think if, if people were really thinking about it, you couldn't come to reason political opinions until you're much older and you have some experience in the real world and you know all of the different values that are at stake. You have some idea of how they, how they weigh in their mind. Maybe by high school you can start thinking about these issues. But, you know, um, I, I agree with Aristotle on this. Aristotle has this passage in the Nicomachean Ethics, and he says that nobody can be a proper student of ethics before they've had sufficient life experience. And ethics, as we know, really is, is foundational to politics. For me, politics is just an extension of ethics. I'm following Ayn Rand in this, that the purpose of a government is to preserve people's rights so that they are permitted to have a moral existence on this planet, that they can actually behave as proper moral human beings. They are free and allowed to do that. They are protected in their right to engage in self-sustaining activity and, and live their lives and be happy. That's what government is for. That's what politics is for. So, you know, if Aristotle says you can't even be a student of ethics until you've had a certain amount of life experience, then certainly politics is, is in that category. And, you know, the idea that a high school student is a credible source for what should be done on guns simply because they were there when an atrocity was committed at the school. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, it, it reminds me of the, there's a Ford Hall Forum talk that Leonard Peikoff gave years ago, and I actually thought of the title of the talk. I love coming up with titles, right? But it's called A Picture is Not an Argument, and it was about abortion. So it was about all of the so-called pro-life movement people trying to obtain a rhetorical advantage by showing you heart-wrenching pictures of a fetus that looks like a human being and saying, how could you kill this, in effect, uh, and therefore trying to you know, pull your heartstrings and, and get you to be anti-abortion. Um, by the way, your own, he calls himself pro-abortion. I don't know that I would use that particular language. At some point, I want to talk about that with him. But, uh, you know, for me, I'm very much in favor of the right to choose an abortion, but I wouldn't call myself pro-abortion. It's abortion, it's, it's a surgery, and it, it kills this thing that's inside. It, no. I, I, um, right to it, yes. Pro, no. Nobody wants to have surgery. So, um, yeah, so, so over here on, you know, these kids, right? So these kids, they've gone through this horrible traumatic experience, and I don't know that I would necessarily call them frauds in any way. I could see that people in the left wing would love to use them as pawns and love to coach them, but I, I wouldn't believe the rights characterization of them either. What I would say, of course, is it's supposed to be buyer beware in, in a certain way. If you're listening to an argument given by a teenager where it's basically fueled by emotion, just telling you about the horrible trauma that they went through. That is very similar to an abortion opponent, a so-called pro-life person showing you a picture of a fetus and saying, Hey, you know, how could you kill this? How could you be in favor of allowing a right to destroy this human looking thing? Um, that's what they're doing. 
they're they're out there just appealing to emotions. You know, argumentum ad misericordium in the Latin description of of the fallacy that they're doing. Uh, people just need to learn to dismiss it. If we change the law based on pure emotion, then we're worse off than ever. So, I, you know, do you call this phony in any way? Is, you know, is it is it actually some kind of fraud that's being perpetrated? I don't know that I see evidence of that. I say you want to tread lightly a little, but it certainly it would be fraudulent if you are putting forth a teenager as somebody who is politically savvy enough, I think, to give an argument. There are some teenagers who are, but the mere fact that they had a certain experience doesn't make them qualified to make political arguments about what should happen to, to gun rights in this country. Another scandal, Louisville. And again, this is all the last couple of days. All of these people committing some kind of fraud, or like a last story, allegedly committing some kind of fraud. Louisville must forfeit basketball championship over a sex scandal. NCAA on Tuesday upheld penalties against Louisville's men's basketball program related to a sex scandal involving players, recruits, and prostitutes and ordered the university to forfeit dozens of victories, including its 2013 national championship. First time the NCAA has stripped a program of the championship one in the Division I men's basketball tournament, which is the organization's signature event. Merely the latest blow, apparently, for the scandal-battered Louisville, says this article from the Times, basketball program and its former coach, Rick Pitino, who was forced out in September in an unrelated recruiting scandal. Scandal on top of scandal. So sports, politics, charitable organizations, all rife with scandal, people trying to fake reality in order to obtain a value. And again, this is a sex scandal, so you could have sort of that double layer. There uh, were, you know, some sort of misuse of, resources probably uh, in order to do whatever they thought that they were doing. So that's one level of fraud, a misuse of resources allocated to the basketball team. And then at the other level, of course, is the sex scandal itself as if you're achieving some kind of value there. Just like I said with the, with the Oxfam. And then finally, we'll go back into politics again. And I, I got to thank uh, my friend Benjamin for helping me find the rest of the story to this one. I found this yesterday in Washington Post and just thought it was funny. Can a party founded by a comedian run a major European country? That's the question in the headline. It says Italy may soon find out. And it turns out that there is a party that has been in the running. I don't know if they're still in the running called Five Star that has been gaining popularity. It's called the Five Star Movement. They've been gaining popularity on the idea that they are honest, that they are not corrupt. And very similar to sort of the reactive right wing here. Uh, my, my friend said his assessment was, on the one hand, there are people in Italy who have legitimate complaints. They're fed up. And that's part of the appeal of this party because it's you know, it's founded by a comedian. It's kind of off the beaten path. We have reality president here. They got comedian maybe there. Um, so they have legitimate com complaints. On the other hand, 
the ideas that they want to put into place, first of all, they're malleable. They're changing all the time. And second of all, it's just a hodgepodge. And it looks like there's going to be some statism. There's some xenophobia. All the icky worst of everything is finding its way into the positions of this party. But the funniest to me, so I just looked at this. It was just, you know, can a party started by a comedian succeed? And then they tell you about the melange of, you know, ideas that this party is, is putting out there and the fact that their positions change all the time just to please the crowd. And then at the end, it gives you what their call is, you know, what their actual, um, you know, slogan is that they chant out there when they're at their demonstrations. Honesty, honesty. And so my thought about the story was, okay, it's just that the people who can be honest today are the ones that have no set views. They have no particular views. They're willing to change their views the way the wind blows. You know, whatever they, whatever way the wind blows is the way their positions are going this week. But it turns out, if you look at the program notes, you can read the whole story, that there's a scandal that these guys had said that they were going to put half their salary into a fund. They took pictures, I guess, of the proof of the transaction of putting their money into the fund, and then they canceled the transaction. So this party, who I thought, okay, well, the only people who are saying honesty, honesty, are the ones who have no particular views to be honest about anyway. They're also just completely in the traditional, stupid, stereotypical, corrupt politician way, dishonest as anybody else. So go get disgusted. Um, the last article in the program notes is not a dishonest article. It's a diet piece. So go to don'tletitgo.com. I don't have a chance to get to it. I've got 20 seconds or so left. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. And I hope to see all of you guys uh, Saturday morning, bright and early for none of the above. So take care, everyone. Goodbye. I'm going to go ahead and end my blog talk stream first. And then I'll say goodbye to everybody over here on Facebook.